0: Homeless Link is the national membership charity for frontline homelessness services. We work to improve services through research, guidance and learning, and campaign for policy change that will ensure everyone has a place to call home and the support they need to keep it. In this podcast, we will explore how services and individuals can improve the way they work and support people who are experiencing or have experienced homelessness. In each episode, we will speak to a guest who will tell us about their work and the lessons they've learned along the way. We hope you enjoy it. In this episode, we continue our conversation with Nick Maguire and think about what we need as individuals to build relationships. Hi, Nick. How are you? Good, thanks, Lauren. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. We spoke on our last episode about the value of relationships in support settings, but before we get going, and this week we're going to be speaking about what workers need in order to... Uh, build those relationships or think about relationship-based support um, but before we get going could you just introduce yourself again um, for the listeners
1: so yes yeah, so uh, my name is Nick McGuire I'm an associate professor in clinical psychology at the University of Southampton and I also uh, direct a director of a, comp- a not-for-profit social enterprise uh, delivering um, psychological services for people who are homeless
0: Brilliant, thank you. So let's just jump straight in. Last time we spoke about uh, the importance of authentic relationships uh, between staff or peer mentors or anyone and someone who is using a service or sort of accessing a space. And I think we touched a bit around the challenges of forming authentic relationships within as commissioned service or any type of service. And I'd like to pick up on what some of the other challenges or that as a challenge might be in forming relationships as staff members, as sort of frontline workers, but also service managers, um, any context. What do you see as some of the main challenges? It's
1: interesting. So sometimes, uh, you know, I've, I've been told, we well, don't really care, you're paid to do this. You're you're just a paid worker. You you know if you weren't being paid, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't care about me. And that's a really, really tricky one, you know. And in terms of, uh, uh, and on one level, they're right, they're absolutely right that um, that I am being paid to be there. And if I wasn't being paid, possibly I wouldn't. But the question sort of is, it needs to be sort of a slightly different one, really. I mean, the way that we answer it, which is, well, I might be paid to be here, but that doesn't necessarily doesn't affect you know my experience of the work that we're doing and, and why it is I'm here what I value about this and what I value about working with you know that person and and we you know we could talk like that we could sort of uh, start to say you know it's, I value the time with you it's um and 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 I completely understand why you might be suspicious about that but come on, let's keep that on the table and we can talk about that so One of the things you know, one of the issues about uh, uh, being a professional in a a service is about kind of starting to build those things. And the other thing is that you know, one of the other things is around what people might think about me. So, do they think as a psychologist I'm going to be just sticking my heads metaphorically inside their skulls and just stirring things up for them and and making things worse and making emotions worse, or digging around and asking about their mum, their dad? And so that might inhibit the kind of, you know, relationship that we might have. Um, and so there's all sorts of beliefs they might hold about me. Am I going to report everything that um, that, that we discussed with the police, for instance? And so there's all sorts of very good reasons why people might be really rather reluctant to talk to me and, and why a relationship might be tricky to establish. There's also the other stuff as well about um, in terms of, It might not necessarily be me, but it might be anybody if they're suspicious or they've had really tricky experiences, particularly in childhood, around complex trauma and about being exploited or punished or neglected or abused by people, particularly maybe people in authority and people in power, then why would they engage with me? I'm just one of those other people. And so enabling people to start to kind of challenge some of those beliefs or experiencing me differently is a really key part of that. And so one of the things that um, we are unable to do within, the, within our social enterprise, because we're not the NHS, and so we don't have to serve a whole population, is to turn up to be rejected. And that can be a very important process. If I've said I'm gonna be somewhere, I will be somewhere. And if the person isn't doesn't, uh, doesn't want to, to come or cancels or just doesn't turn up, that has to be okay because i've done what i'm said i've said i'm going to do for some people there needs to be a bit of a test so if i keep turning up two or three times i'm still there when i said i'm going to be maybe that person might think okay well they are doing what they said they were going to do maybe we'll just take the next step and talk to them because they've sort of been there when they said they would and i've tested them out i've tried to reject them but they still turned up and so some of those kind of processes are, are actually really important. Being able to, uh, and this is where structures of service is really important. Now, if you've got a server whole population, it's very difficult to not run a three strikes and you're out. But it's really important for us not to do that, not to run a three strikes and you're out. We, need, we might need to turn up four or five or six six times before somebody eventually starts to, starts to trust that I were, I'm doing what I say I'm going to do and that I'm reliable. And that's the kind of the foundation possibly for a, a, a better relation a, a better a, a conversation and so you might get then tested out with 10 minutes of conversation when, and i've had this happen before and so is, there's sort of you know a bit of kind of chit chat and then right I'm just offer a cigarette i'll be back in a bit because they don't come back entirely understandable, and that has to be okay i just maybe the week following you know it might spend 15 minutes sort of talking and and so what you're enabling the other person to do is to experience you differently. And it requires you doing what you had to do, and it requires a structure which enables you to do those things. So this is why kind of, you know, the, the, int- the intrapersonal stuff and the interpersonal stuff is important, but also the structure of the service, the way in which you configure service, which enables those kind of processes, is really important.
0: So what... I'm thinking about is I think a lot of people who are working in this sector and other sectors will feel that and will hear that and will want to be building those relationships with others and want to be those sort of static, reliable people. But if you have a day or a week where every meeting that you've gone to has been cancelled and you know that you haven't yet got to that point of trust with someone, it's still gonna be hard, it's still gonna sting a little bit that no one wants to speak to you. Um, and that you're maybe running all over town to go to different places. Um, and I think we, you know, need to name name those feelings ourselves. We we are we spoke a bit last time about how we're sort of social creatures and that. Council workers as well, and people are wanting to have these social interactions and are in have chosen this work, um, and then are experiencing rejection. So, as workers, obviously, we can think about services, but what can we do to sort of mitigate against those feelings and and keep ourselves feeling okay?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we can talk about um, the, the kind of the, the thing that we need to do, the, the, the intervention, which, of course, is some form of reflective practice. That's one of So a bit of training, the way that we do it is a little bit of training, but it has to be followed up through regular reflective practice because these are things that need to be discussed. So that's the kind of the one of the fora in which these kind of things can be worked out and discussed. Now, the question then becomes, well, what is it that needs to be worked out? And, um, and you said it yourself, um, it's, you know, it stings a bit. And why does it sting when somebody doesn't turn up? And, and quite often what we, you know, when we talk these things through, it stings because the person thinks that they're not valuable. And There's this, you know, why have you selected into this work? Because I really value the work that I'm doing, the so- because it has a social value. I value working with people who really have very little else. Now, when that person who has very little else, doesn't turn up to see you, or, or you may have the thought, I have been rejected. But that's the whole thing, it's a thought. The thought that you are in some way being rejected. And that, of course, leads to these, this kind of stinging. And, um, and, the, and, there's, and there's all sorts of um, emotions. So there could be a bit of sadness and hopelessness, but there also could be some anxiety. Oh, my God, if they've rejected me, then I'm, I'm, I'm no good at my job. So it's not just that they rejected me and had this existential stuff, it's I'm no good at my job. And if I'm no good at my job, they're going to see that I'm no good at my job and they're going to sack me. And so not only do I have no value to the person, I also have no value to the organisation. So these are the kinds of thoughts that people have. And this is it, they're just thoughts. And, uh, and we have to just notice those thoughts. R- relentless compassion involves us observing, observing the thoughts that we have about ourselves and observing the thoughts you have about the other person. So what we might resort to is blame. Oh, my God, you know, they've, they, they've not turned up again. Well, either I'm to blame, because I'm rubbish at engaging them, or they're to blame for not turning up. Oh, it's better to blame them. So the, the, within the mix could be some anger and frustration and irritation. And we'll, quite often what we'll do is vacillate in our heads, you know, between, oh, my God, it's my fault, and we could it's their fault. But one of the things that we, we talk about in training and practice is, is the trap of blame. Blame is a trap. And we, we're invited to step into that trap of either blaming them or blaming ourselves. But what we can do is step out right out of it. It's not about blame. It's not about responsibility. It's, a, I, it's not about me not being good enough. It, it might be that I haven't been able to behave in a way yet, but it also might equally be that they don't yet trust me. They haven't had an opportunity to start to build that trust. That's not about blame. That's just about a dynamic, as you were saying last time, which hasn't yet taken place, hasn't an opportunity to take place. And we need to, to, to continue to behave in an open way, giving the person the opportunity to engage with us. But the, the, a really important point is it has to be okay if they choose not to. It has to be okay on not just an individual level, but an organisation on it as well. We have, you know, we, it, there's, there's something about, we have a mantra about failing better um, to, uh, to steal something from Samuel Beckett. Yeah. The idea that, you know, you, have a, you, you try, ever tried, ever failed. No matter, you try again, you, you fail again, you fail better. And failing better involves sometimes, you know, some of the things that we do in our heads. That's okay. That's, it has to be okay that we haven't yet had an opportunity to engage them or they haven't had opportunity to, to see that we're going to behave reliably. That sometimes happens. And eventually, sometimes we need to be moving on to, you know, because the reality is we do have case studies and there are people, but we don't forget that person. That person might not have been ready at that time to engage with us. Now, these are quite, these are really complex inter and interpersonal processes and they need to be discussed. And there are also, again, systems issues. The way in which we serve, you know, we, we set up the structure. We can't, we just can't deliver infinite amount of time to somebody you just keep turning up for 10, 11, 12 weeks or whatever, you know, there are other people that, can be, uh, that, that could be served. But we don't forget the person, they're still in mind. And it might be that further down the line, you know, if we're failing better, we, we, you know, we might have failed to, um, to engage them at that point, but this isn't a blaming fail, it's just, that's just how it was. something about taking responsibility but not blaming ourselves. So there's something about responsibility which is not blame the two are just dis- do a distinct and two are different but i can take responsibility okay so my part of the service wasn't able to behave in a way that that person yet was able enabled to response that's that's a reasonable way of framing it we haven't yet got a sharp enough tool in the in the box to help that person see that we were useful there's another way of doing it but through continually practicing and, can, and failing better of course we continue to sharpen those tools and one of the tools is something we call metacognitive awareness in other words noticing the thoughts that we are having about ourselves and them and blaming them or blaming ourselves is one set of thoughts that we can notice and there's all sorts of ways in which we can do that um, the various kind of psychological frameworks and psychotherapeutic frameworks have have um, a language for describing that. Within behavioral therapy, we talk about metacognitive awareness, but mindfulness-based therapies talk about being mindful. Um, uh, um, um, Mentalization-based therapies talk about mentalization. They're all kind of talking about the same kind of thing, being able to reflect on what's going on inside, both the emotion, but also the cognitive. And one of the key ways of doing that, it's very hard to do on your own. It's very hard to become aware of thoughts and feelings on your own so you do it through discussion and that's why discussion within a kind of safe place like reflective practice is so important
0: I love that and I love the way that you've positioned all of that I think I sort of asked the question and quite an individual what what can a worker do and while well, we, we can, can uh note or name the feelings and thoughts it's just cannot be done on your own it needs to happen within a system within a service it's impossible um so i'm very pleased that you've drawn that out um and sort of challenged the question there i think it's it's been a challenging year we've been in lockdown at various different points we're We're still still going going through a lot of uncertainty Mm. and i think that it's uh, had a, it, it will have, have long-term, long-term effects on everyone in various different ways. ways. COVID nineteen, if I haven't said that already, if you yeah. haven't got it from the, <laughs> what I was implying. And I guess I want to know. I was going to ask what you, what reflections you have on how the last year has impacted people delivering or working in services, and whether there's anything. You know, people might need to keep an eye on uh, to look after themselves or not, or um, both now and in the future. It,
1: it's so, uh, so complex. So, we can talk about you know, at any number of levels. So, we can start, so, you know, we can talk about the individual staff member level, or we can talk about the dynamic interaction with our people level, and we can talk about the organisational level. All have suffered. Let's start at the kind of individual staff level. Not only are my people feeling me massively anxious about infection, about getting ill, about social distancing, about all those kind of things, which, you know, we can't suddenly just just get rid of just because we're still, excuse me, working in a hostel and and working in environments where quite a lot of people are. So there's all those, you know, entirely natural, entirely understandable uh, anxieties around the pandemic and around the virus itself and before we even started to think about how we have been prevented from maybe behaving in ways that we value. So we may value, really value the interpersonal. We may really value the sitting down in a room and talking quietly with somebody about stuff. And of course that got completely kiboshed. You know, we weren't allowed anymore to sit in rooms and uh, in close proximity to people without masks. And without PPE, which of course also interferes with things like nonverbal communication and the quality of relationships. So it, it was—it's not just the—it's um, not just that uh, the kind of the anxiety is itself, but it's also the the way in which we work. Now we have this a um, uh, really useful phrase which comes from acceptance commitment therapy. This, this idea of behaviour and the service of values. And when we when we cause to, or we're in, when we're impeded in behaving in the service of our values, we tend to feel a bit crap about it, entirely understandable. When we're able to behave in the service of values, we tend to feel really, really good. And this is why, going back to the previous thing about noticing when we think we're being ineffective, it, that's often we we have these thoughts about not being valued anymore because we're not being able to behave in the service of our values. But that's because you know we may have a particular understanding of what that what that is, what that behaviour is, and more to the point we're looking for an outcome of that. So I'm behaving certain of my values turning up regularly and you're not turning up. So we're looking at the, out- the outcome you to be them turning up and we're assuming that then is our fault. Mm-hmm. Same thing, same, same thing. So the environment is, has, is preventing us from behaving in the service of our values. Uh, within the psychologically informed environment co- approach, we, we, we think a lot about the environment, not just the built environment, and how maybe the built environment enables us or doesn't enable us to behave in the service values but also maybe the kind of the community environment the community environment changed um the, the, we weren't able to to engage with people from other in, uh, other services in the same way that we were we used to be able to we weren't able to do collaborative work in the way that we used to be able to and we weren't able to be able to make have these themes in meetings a lot of meetings moved online now there were some benefits to that in in terms of um, maybe a frequency of meetings that could increase but there is a cost as well there's a cost in terms of we just don't get that sort of sense of interpersonal uh, belonging sometimes when we're having having a meeting online so and and that's before even we start to get thinking about the organizations at the organizational level and how the organization is then impeded on maybe hitting its commissioning targets or commissioning outcomes because the world had changed. We do. We, we experienced this. We, weren't a, we, we, we were commissioned um, on a, a public health income grant almost in, and we started the, the project in February and then by March, of course, everything was locked down. We weren't able to deliver in a way that we had promised. And that was kind of anxiety-breaking when you have a value about, you know, you want to be a value to the taxpayer. And you want to be of value to the individuals that you're serving. And then you can't because, because of COVID. Of course, that generates anxieties aside from infection and not being able to in the values. You know, there's all the organisational stuff as well. So, so it's a big thing and it's quite complex. And sometimes I think there's a danger of missing some of those layers. And then, of course, what it does, it, it becomes incumbent on sort of managers, particularly middle managers within organisations to be able to, despite the fact that they've got their own anxieties going on, to be able to help people to see that it's OK. It needs to be OK. The environment is preventing you behaving in, in, in the way that you want to. And that's not it's not about fault. It's not your fault. And so, you know, then we get into good enough. How can you be good enough given this new set of circumstances and this new set of Environmental contingencies. So all those factors are conspiring, um, and it's quite interesting um, as lockdown reduces. That's going to be there are going to be other anxieties around that because suddenly, from a position of being spending sort of two meters apart, suddenly you know personal space is going to start shrinking again as we start to loosen up those those processes, and that's going to generate its own anxieties. We've got used to seeing people in PPE. we've got used to kind of behaving in a socially distanced way. Well as those as those structures start to, to drop, and we start start to drop PPE and drop personal, um, the, the social distancing that's gonna have its own uh, factors and the and and it's gonna be up to the individuals themselves to notice when they're getting anxious, but also kind of managers within organizations to help particularly frontline workers to to, to, to adapt to to uh, you know the, the return to something like what we had
0: before,: Thank you. I think that's about all we have time for. Uh, but do you have any thoughts or reflections you want to share before we close the session episode?:
1: uh, Yes, yeah, well, I really appreciated it. Um, uh, Lauren. It's been you know the usual thing is you talk about things and you articulate things, you, you always learn new stuff about stuff that you you thought you knew. And that that something about you know organisations in an environmental contexts being mindful of the way that relationships work and don't work, and how st- I think how structures how we configure organisations sometimes, we perhaps could be a little bit more mindful of that to make use of building of relationships is 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 really something I hadn't really thought of in that way until you caused me to reflect on it. So
0: thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To keep up to date with the latest goings on at Homeless Link, please follow us on Twitter, at HomelessLink. If you're interested in training and development opportunities for yourself, your team, or your organisation, get in touch by emailing homelesslink.org.uk. We have a range of courses that help staff and organisations develop the skills needed to tackle current issues and improve services.